0: I wanted to um, continue reflecting a little bit um, because it's an important area on what Kirisaya was saying last night. Um, this appreciation or realization um, of the Amata-dhamma or the deathless dhamma or um, different ways of talking about it, the uncreated, the unborn, as it's a very uh place of uh, realization that brings great peace, um, a sense of relief, and it's very much connected to the third noble truth, the truth of cessation, of those points of when we can actually relinquish for a while, uh, grasping. And we feel the space around form. This is art—the way that we can connect with that. And the, the, the taste of that, those moments of relinquishment, uh, uh, moments of not seeking to abide in the realms of uh, samsara or the sankharas, the taste of that is a sense of Uh, peacefulness, relief, spaciousness um, leading to uh, a feeling of joy freedom, freedom of heart uh, confidence uh, when the Buddha talked about Nibbāna I don't really think that originally it was meant to um be something that was seen to be um a hallowed idea held in the in the, in somewhere in the future after we've been through three thousand lifetimes and read all the party canon and you know that there is this notion that uh that comes through sometimes the tradition um not particularly the way it was taught by it in as it's medho, but it does give this sense of uh the realisation of nirvana or cessation as something uh unattainable. Um, but the way the Buddha would talk about it was something very immediate to be realised or only in the present, can only really be realised in the present as a very immediate um realisation, recognition. Uh, and sometimes we make the, the this realization too complicated so that uh, the simplicity of it gets missed, like the simplicity of space or silence gets missed with our fixation, our fascination, our obsession with form, with content, with the storylines that we carry around. Uh, these days it's not only fashionable to have storylines from this life, but <laughs> we, have, we can have all sorts of storylines from previous lives, and, and they're never usually, uh, previous lives aren't usually just Joe Blogs. usually they're, <laughs> and people talk about their previous lives often, there's always been some sort of traumatic or uh, amazing kind of a, a person. <laughs> and, uh, and there's, I mean, and that might all be true. I don't know. But um, the point is that this fascination exists, this uh, perpetuation of our, uh, even if it's quite uh, sorrowful, of some of our our stories, our dramas. And so we don't always want to really let go. Uh, we don't. Uh, The the Buddha said that the truth is always inviting us, um, calling us, and and sometimes we don't really want to take up that invitation. But there are moments that we do feel sometimes the the peace, uh, the spaciousness, the joy, which is our inherent nature, the inherent nature of mind in its uh, natural state, it's, uh, spaciousness, unlimited. that doesn't, uh, is not distorted by the three forms of desire um, and clinging or aversion. It doesn't distort reality. There is a, a great saint in India, a woman saint called Anandamayi Ma who was in a, in a very kind of year-like state these, these beings in India that seem to appear somehow <laughs> India seems to give birth to these amazing uh, beings including the Buddha which is interesting because it's such, a, in some way such an amazing country, but such a difficult country to be in Anandamai um, Ma died, I think, I in 83 and uh, she seemed to be in this realized state most of her life. She seemed to just have been born like that. Um, and she lived a very, in some level, very ordinary life of an Indian woman, which was expected at that time to be married to someone, have an arranged marriage and so on. And one of the comments she made uh, about her state, she said, well before, before this body was born. Uh, How did you put it? Before, I was the, thank you. Before this body was born, I was the same. Um, As I grew up as a child, I was the same. As this body was married off, (laughs) I was the same. Um, And in aging, I will be the same. And in death I will be the same, and after death I will be the same. And what she was talking about was a, a level of reality, um, that's changeless. That she she was dwelling in that level of reality where uh she directly experiencing or being nourished by or in in communion with the changeless. And yet there was change as well. There was the condition, there was the birth and death, there was the arising and passing, there was the joys and sorrows. And in this meditation practice, we're beginning to perhaps get a feeling for moving to that place, um, getting glimpses, getting some confidence in the ability to um, abide or move to that place uh, by noticing, as Kiddhisar was saying yesterday, the changing. Listening to the changing, listening to where the changing and uh, how it arises and where it ceases, like the bells. Listening to the bells and then how their silence becomes so rich around around something like the sound of the bells. And in way, of, this way of talking, one could say it's moving to the heart of the Buddha or moving to Buddha. Uh, one of the images that I find very nice is the Buddha just being. Under the Bodhi tree, just sitting in the place of enlightenment, the place of just being without any distortion. And as he's sitting there, there's all sorts of uh, things pulling at him desires, longings for the past, uh, doubts you're not worthy or you shouldn't, who are you to think you can be enlightened, Um, memories. From the past, um, fear, all the different kind of manifestations um, that the mind can produce, trying to pull him off course, trying to um, pull him into a sense of of, of, uh, of reactivity. And this and the Buddha just said, well, I know you, Ma, I just know these conditions for what they are. He wasn't saying, he wasn't getting out his uh AK-47 and kind of shooting them down. He wasn't becoming uh, overwhelmed in his moment of enlightenment, that moment of clear seeing, there's just was just a simple recognition, I know you for what you are. It doesn't mean to say that it necessarily totally dissolved in that moment, but the knowing, uh, it loses its power just to keep that sense of knowing, dwelling in the awakened heart. And this is really a wonderful thing, because when we we tend to associate ourselves so much with perhaps conditions that haven't always been... um, When the mind contracts around um, thought forms or feelings or emotions that haven't always been that positive, then... um, or that have been fearful or isolating from our conditioning, then sometimes our perception about ourselves is distorted. Uh, it's heavy, it's not buoyant, not happy. Uh, but in this, this heart of dwelling in, in the uh, heart of the Buddha, or the, the I was the same, or the changeless, in a more impersonal way, then the heart can rest more in its natural state, um, not distorted, and then the the understanding of the, of the, uh, of the, um, the more uh, radiant or joyful or, or peaceful nature, which certainly doesn't get emphasised much in our society. Emphasised a lot of the personality. Seeing and being in that way, one can see the. Uh, to when when dwelling in that in that point of awakeness, point of clarity, point of awareness, then seeing the changing nature is just seeing the Dhamma, the Dhamma, arising and passing, the Dhamma nature, uh, from a point of Vichya or clear seeing, uh, seeing. Rising and passing, the, the wondrous, the horrendous, uh, the minute, the huge, the beautiful, the petty—however it appears. When avidya, this ancient tendency that the Buddha called, that, called uh, talked about, avidya means not seeing clearly. When we don't, when we've moved out of that position of clear seeing, avidya means ignorance or not seeing, ignoring then no longer is the changing world Dhamma, it becomes sanghara because the sense of self arises through identification, from through not seeing clearly. So the the world of sanghara that the Buddha talked about was this world of feeling that one's being buffeted by the winds of change all the time, uh, the winds of happiness, unhappiness, praise, blame, success, failure, gain loss, and so on. And there's this sense of finally Um, being battered about by by the winds of Sangsara. So allowing ourselves this time, just for gently, slowly, patiently, the mind to begin to settle enough to trust, to trust the space of relinquishment, not grasping. Sometimes in that space, there's peacefulness sometimes in the space, pain will come. And for some of you, that has been the experience. Pain, one doesn't even know where it comes from. You know, talk a little bit about that pain, but, um, there was a quote that I wanted to share tonight from Kela Rinpoche, who's a great Tibetan master, who, uh, Was uh, born in Tibet uh, about a hundred years ago, I suppose. Died about I don't know, five or six years ago. Great meditation master. And um, he, when he was born, he was born a tulku, what's called a tulku or rinpoche, uh, which means a reincarnated, reincarnated, which is part of the Tibetan system, which meant that they believed he was a very high Lama that had reincarnated. So the other Lamas went off to find him to his family home after all the visions and so on and so forth. And his father said to the Lamas that came to take the the young boy off to a monastery, he said, well, he said, you know, the point is, if he's not a Rinpoche, if he's not a Tolku, then all your training will be wasted. And if he is a Tolkha, if he is a Rinpoche, then he won't need your training because he'll be able to get it anyway. <laughs> so, pretty stuffed <soft> father. So, <laughs> so kind of Rinpoche, unlike a lot of the other Tolku, stayed at home, which is um, probably not a bad thing, actually. Um, and went to the monastery when he was 16, and when he was 16 he promptly did a three-year retreat. So makes us look. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and then when he was 25, he went and wandered for 12 years in the mountains, continuing his retreat. And then, uh, and then his guru, one of his gurus, said, "Before Tibet fell, you better get out of here." (coughs) Um, So he left Tibet and went to Bhutan and started some retreat centres there, Um, and uh, was a very uh, realised a saintly person, people that have met him. I never met him personally. But we went, when we were in India, we went to his monastery in Dharamsala. And when we walked in, we didn't even know it was his monastery. Actually, someone just took us there and said, this is a Tibetan monastery. You might like to see it. And when we walked in, we just felt this incredible, um, just this powerful feeling. Um, just, just a sense of presence. And Kiddhya started turned to me and said, there must be some relics in this monastery. There must be some sort of it's just a, such a sense of presence, um, and we walked into the shrine room, and there was a an effigy, a sort of a a life size figure in gold of Kalu Rinpoche. I mean, I said, oh, you know, God, it's Kalu Rinpoche's monastery, and um, we sort of pay respects to this effigy. And we we're talking, one of the Tibetan monks came up and. Uh, We sort of said, "Oh God, that that looks so much like Rinpoche. You know, you've really kind of got it down." He said, "Well, it is Rinpoche's body. You know, it's been like that for three years. (laughs) It hasn't decayed. Um, Yeah, covered in in gold." So it's like, "Oh right, okay." (laughs) But he was he was he was someone that um, came to the West Um, later in his life. um, People that met him said that. You know, the few people we've spoken to were moved to tears, or they really felt, you know, felt very moved just by his presence. But his teachings, he he concentrated on teaching very, um, traditional, um, teachings. Um, he felt that it was, he, he focused on a few different teachings the Refugees, the Four Noble Truths, the Chen Rei, the Compassion, I and mean, he kind of tended to just go over and over those to emphasize the importance of those Uh, but he was very much a meditation master and one of his sayings after he died uh, one of his sayings appeared i noticed was sort of printed out and appeared in many dharma centers uh, which was uh, this world is as an illusion you live in the appearance of things there is a reality, you are that reality. Seeing that, you will see that you are nothing. Seeing nothing, you will realize you are everything. That is all. (laughs) You live, this world is as an illusion. It's like talking about the nature, the Buddha very much talked about the nature of these changing, flickering appearance of things. Um, being like a magician's show, or like as an illusion, or a dream. Um, one of the quotes that the Buddha says, all conditioned dharmas, all things that come into appearance, are like bubbles or dewdrops, the lightning flash, they have this nature, they're very uh flickering according to reality. According to our distorted perception, maybe that's not what we see. But as we go beyond uh, perhaps our perceptions or our solidified thinking, we start to notice more directly that the actual, as we connect with each moment of life, actually the reality is it has this uh, this illusory nature, dreamlike nature. Um, obviously, if I hit myself, then that's not an illusion. I can feel something on a relative level. But ultimately, um Sher is pointing to this for us to contemplate. Um, but there is a reality. But to understand that reality, you have to get through the appearance of things. You live in the appearance of things. And this is very much talking about how we take the apparent nature for a reality and not really investigate into a more profound level. For example, we take the appearance of the body. think so this is me. I mean, we don't question. Uh, we don't even question what's under the skin. We just take the appearance of the external and uh, And then beautiful or not beautiful or like or don't like or me and mine, but if we just contemplate the nature of the body and peel the skin off <laughs> um, you know and really looked looked deeper than just the appearance then we we'd come across a different reality, perhaps not a particularly attractive reality, and this is this is actually uh, it's not to be morbid. This is actually a, a Buddhist contemplation. Um, practitioners would go to charnel grounds or to to autopsy things like that to really not to sort of get all hung up on the on on the uh, un, on beautiful or the not beautiful human body, but to actually realistically look at like, what what is the appearance and what is beneath the appearance of things. And actually, the point of that is to actually Actually, allow a bit more dispassion. Because we say, well, we look at our face and we say, well, that's me, that's my face. If you take a photograph for a passport, you photograph your face. You don't photograph your elbow or your, your, you know, I mean, but that's me, my face. Um, And that's you, your face, and that's you. Um, But if we sort of all put our livers on the floor, (laughs) we wouldn't be able to say, you know, this is Nikki's liver and that's it. It's very impersonal suddenly, you know. I mean it'd be more than impersonal, it'd be pretty awful. <laughs> I mean but we I mean we laugh, but there's I mean there's so much just in know what happens on our daily level as a bodily functions that is beneath the appearance of things that we wouldn't even like to talk about in public. There is a reality that, you know but even if we look deeper, um, if we looked if we were Quantum physicists, or we look through a microscope, even we would probably just see atoms oscillating on um whatever they see when they look through <laughs> the microscope, and the same with matter, the appearance is solidity um and as we meditate as the attention becomes refined, sometimes that's what we start to feel just the vibration uh, flickering thought um. And our our society as a whole is very addicted to the appearances. Appearances, we keep up appearances, we have that expression, keeping up appearances. Embarrassing sometimes, there's appearances kind of suddenly, you know, we make a faux pas or something happens or, uh, if we go into a, a supermarket and we pick up, we pick up a packet of sausages, and it's sort of piped music and they look very nice and you think, oh, you know, have some sausages for dinner but if we looked you know like At Hahn talks about looking more deeply into to everything the interconnected if we actually looked at those sausages and <laughs> looked you know where they came from and the process of how they got there we wouldn't even want to touch them um, probably uh, so we keep a lot hidden to allow ourselves to stay ignorant basically so on the, uh, in in this contemplation of going through the appearance of things it's an ongoing on all different levels even the appearance of a of a a very negative um, state of mind can really throw us it appears solid it appears permanent it appears like something I'm never never going to get through but we can slowly gently uh, with kindliness with openness open around that and just allow you know, the space and well, maybe it's not as solid as we think. Uh, maybe we can allow for the possibility, I mean, changes can also work very much for our, our benefit. Looking through the appearance of things, there is a reality. There's a point of uh, Of undying, the point of timelessness is a point that's, that's constant, if you like. Eternally dwelling is another way. It's not a thing, it's not a, there's something to be realized. And Karen says, well, that essentially is what you are. I mean, we, we mistake ourselves for all sorts of other conditions, essentially. Uh, in reality, that is, what you are, not what you necessarily think, not what we necessarily think. And seeing this, you realize, emptiness will show Not Not matter. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, that's um, this beginning to be able to that contemplate the cessation, the letting go, perhaps of this the, 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 um, constriction of the mind around the sense of self. The dissolving of that perhaps allows us to sense, the Shunyata or the the fact that you that awareness you can't really find in the awareness in the mind ground. You can't really find. You, you call it nothing. And he called it nothing, but he says actually it contains everything. So although you can't really, uh, you know, sometimes one fears if one lets go about the, the way the mind is constricted, um, or located, it's me, if we let go of that we'll just, there'll be no, you know, there, there'll be oblivion. Um, we won't know what to say anymore, we'll just be like a sort of a sitting dummy. Or um, <laughs> well, perhaps we'll even disappear physically, we don't know. but. I and mean, he's not talking about that from an ego perspective. You are everything from an ego perspective. It's not like saying, well, I am, you know, from that, that plane, I'm the same as, as everyone in, in this room, because obviously I'm different. But he's saying from the point of view of aware, within awareness, which isn't your personal property, there is, everything can be contained. Everything is there. All conditions are there within the unconditioned, within the timeless, within the changeless, there is change. As um, Kijisara was saying yesterday, within the ground of being, there is mm-hmm. um, rooted the appearance of things as they appear and dissolve. And it's it's this continuing to contemplate this um, cessation or allowing ourselves to sense or to feel into the point of um still point, if you like. Um, That compassion can really arise, begin to arise, the sense of um, a more unitive or allowing for the whole can be there. Tomorrow, we'd like to go into some practices, where we um, more consciously contemplate this aspect of uh, compassion or love, loving kindness, um, in, in relationship to working uh, uh, not only with that aspect of our being that can be inclusive, that can see all things as perhaps facets of the one, but also... Um, with a, as a way of working with some of the suffering that can appear in our lives, some of the pain, um, because in this contemplation, as suffering arises, right there is this ability more and more to, rather than for the mind to constrict around it as like this is, this is um. You know, a problem I have that that I'm struggling with, we can perhaps begin to see it more as a universal factor in life, a universal that we can consciously begin to to work with, to to sort of in a way bring awareness to it. And some of the meditations that we'll be doing tomorrow is actually almost bringing that suffering, and rather than sort of taking it on an an egoic plane or on a plane of 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 uh, me sort of struggling in it that you actually sort of being able to take it uh, and bring it into the heart of awareness or the heart of compassion, which isn't, you know, me as a personality, but it's something that's universal. Um, this is, you know, actually in that, bringing that into um the heart of awareness, into a, a universal heart space, allowing it to be sort of offered almost or dissolved um, so that it can be transformed. To to more a sense of uh, offering back um, a feeling for well wishing for a, a prayerful feeling of well wishing of um, of compassion. So rather than this contemplation of anatta or no self being something that that sort of takes us to a a dried a dried up unrelated place actually it, it's taking us it more into perhaps um little by little a more profound appreciation not only for a resting place, a place of peace but a place of resonance of relationship or response that that's more based in um, a heart of of compassion, a compassionate response to the suffering that we that that appears that that comes to us in whatever form realizing that's something we can actually work with and, and transform not only for ourselves but um for each other for the, for the sake of the whole to finish because i would like to talk about this tomorrow more but as i promise not to talk much tonight um i've finished with um, an image that i find very helpful in this notion because i'm mentioning this about because in talking today, um, that's not everyone's experience. Some people experience I mean everyone's experience is changing <laughs> anyway, but that is um something that has uh, come up. But um as we start to be able to see sometimes that the suffering is not, you know, necessarily something to be taken so personally as we can in a, allow the awareness to just receive um, any state, really, but especially the more difficult state. Mm. Uh, awareness, in a way, is is, is something that um, can receive, um, can patiently be with, purify and transform. So there's, that, there's more difficult energies. The more we can open the awareness to allow them to be there without this these distortions of, of I don't want it to be like this which should be another way it's someone else's fault or how but just which might be true maybe it's someone's fault we don't but just for the sake of working on this level as one can receive that into the into the heart of awareness or into the universal heart um, then in a way one's allowing it the space perhaps the time it needs the awareness it needs to, to, to be transformed, to be let go of, to find to call it, it's like allowing the prisons of consciousness an escape hatch. And what tends to happen when pain comes up, we tend to react ooh, so, you know, and slam them back down in the dungeon, these kind of prisoners of consciousness, they don't, I don't want to see you, I don't want to be with you, you're too, you hurt too much. And this trusting more, this, this refuge of awareness, allowing these energy forms just to appear, um, so that they can be received into listening, into the heart, into the awareness, and to be let go of. And, and this is very much the, the I, I see it as very much the core of the Bodhisattva heart. We talk about Bodhisattva saving all sentient beings, but we can't sometimes even save our own <laughs> difficult moods. And this is the core of this patient. I've got all the time in the world to be with this difficult state. Um, and it appears that it's kind of eternal sometimes, but it, you know, things do change. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit org slash donate.